Good afternoon. I'm Leslie Tolbert, Regents Professor in Neuroscience at the University of Arizona, and this is Arizona Science. Our guest today is Lynn Nadell, Regents Professor in Psychology. So I'd like to know about your early findings about the brain's mapping of space that ended up contributing to the 2014 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. When you started your research, what did we know about the brain's mechanisms for learning and memory? We knew very little, actually, about the details of how the brain stored memories and in what what parts of the brain were involved. And, And sometime in the 1950s, a very famous patient was discovered, goes by the name of H.M., and books have been written about him. Uh, that firmly linked a structure called the hippocampus to memory. And I was a graduate student in the 1960s, and I was very excited about that. And, and I and a number of others tried to model that deficit in, in animal models, and it didn't work. So we were kind of perplexed about what the difference might be. Some years later, change venue in London, a fellow graduate student of mine, John O'Keefe, uh, discovered that in the rat hippocampus, there were these incredible cells that were active, incredible neurons that were active depending upon where the animal was in space. They seemed, and he called them place cells. And it was actually that discovery that led to the Nobel Prize uh, 35 years later. But I was in London at the time in the same lab that John was. We had been graduate students together, and, and we joined forces after that discovery, and we wrote a book that described sort of what the hippocampus does both in memory and in space and why these things are connected. Can you tell us how they're connected? When I first heard about place cells, I couldn't imagine what this had to do with what we knew from HM about hippocampal roles in learning. That was the perplexing situation we were in for a while. But it turns out that there was one piece of information that people didn't have at that time, and that is that memory isn't a single thing. There's actually many different kinds of memory. So what what we think we discovered and what I think the fullness of time has shown to be the case is that this, this hippocampal structure is very important for the kind of memory that we all think about as memory, memory, what I did yesterday, episodic memory. But it's not important for other kinds of memory. Like what? Like habit memory. You know, if you learn how to play tennis and you suddenly you get damaged this part of the brain, you're still going to know how to use your muscles to play tennis. Skill memory, procedural memory. There's a variety of forms of memory that don't depend upon this system. And that was not understood at the time. So I took this idea that there were these multiple systems and then explored it from a developmental perspective, a clinical perspective, and so on. So for example, we now know that the hippocampus, this critical structure for both memory and space, has lots of stress receptors. Nobody knew that, which means to say that under conditions of of extreme stress, the hippocampus might not be working properly or it may actually be affected, it might even be shrunk by, by chronic stress. We now know there is a link between PTSD and problems in the hippocampus. So we're beginning to see how environmental things like stress can specifically affect one part of the brain but not another in ways that, that show up in the clinic. And does it specifically have an impact on the hippocampus because the hippocampus is developing later than other structures? Exactly right. Certainly stress early in life is more likely to affect the hippocampus because the brain doesn't all develop at once. Obviously, no part of the body does. Different structures in the brain develop over over a kind of a stretched out time course. Some of them are still developing after we're born. That includes this critical structure, the hippocampus, and a few others. The hippocampus is probably not mature and functioning uh, the way it would in an adult until maybe two, two and a half or something like that. And that's why we can't remember things that happened to us when we were one or two? This is exactly why we have what's called infantile amnesia, that we cannot recall specific events in our life, which isn't to say we haven't been learning for the first few years. We're learning a lot, but we can't remember the episodes in which we did that learning. Mm -hmm. It's all 
buried deep, but we don't have access to it in a conscious way. So because the hippocampus develops late, then you might imagine that because it's still developing, it would be particularly susceptible to things going on early in life, such as, for example, uh, if there's some kind of a chromosomal abnormality, that would have a bigger impact on these structures that are developing a little bit later in life. That's what turned out to be true in Down syndrome. So for the last 25 or 30 years, I've been working on Down syndrome because it turns out that kids with Down syndrome have an improperly matured hippocampus. I mean, they have some function, but it does not appear to have the full range of functions that a, that a mature hippocampus has. So they're not very good at episodic memory. They're not very good at finding their way around in space, all of those things. But they have some other spill-on effects that, you know, we're still working out. The point here is that this, this way of thinking about multiple brain systems, multiple memory systems, sort of opens up a lot of other interesting areas. And those are the things that I've been exploring in the last 30 years. Listen to this and all Arizona Science Conversations at azpm.org slash Arizona Science. I'm Leslie Tolbert.